The choices you make and specifically the way you choose to see God matters. How you choose to interpret the circumstances of your life matters because what you choose to believe about Him is who you'll show others that He is. Will you choose to see Him through the eyes of fear and doubt or through the understanding of a God who not only loves us, but is love? Join me today as we learn to see Him rightly, as we learn to choose love. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Choose Love. I am going to talk with you today out of Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know why I was just drawn to Hebrews this week, and um, I'm back in the Passion Translation, which, you know, I just absolutely love. It's given me such a fresh perspective of scriptures that I've known my whole life, and I still go back and compare it to, for me, the New King James Version, because that's what I grew up with, and the Amplified some. My, my parents loved the Amplified, but, um, you know, I just want to start in prayer, and the topic today is from a familiar scripture in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance this race that we're running. And um, the Passion Translation refers to, it, refers to it as with passion and determination. So we're going to do life with passion and determination. And I have um, seven things that I found in Hebrews chapter 12 that I want to highlight that I believe help us live with passion and determination. And I don't know about you, but I need more passion and I need more resolve, more determination. So um, I'm also just really feeling to just read the word over you too. So we're going to get into this whole chapter. But first, we'll just pray. Father, um, thank you for the privilege of running a race and, and getting to be a part of this life. And there are places in my heart that equally say, why? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. But my spirit says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be alive and to get to choose you over and over and over again. There are so many opportunities every day where I can do it the easier way or do it my way. And I get to choose you. And I thank you for that privilege. And um, Father, I ask that you would just make us aware right now of what Hebrews 11 and 10 speaks into, the, the great cloud of witnesses, um, our forefathers and the ones that we love to read about in scripture and even our own, um, some of our own parents and grandparents um, that have gone before us that are already in heaven and they're witnesses to our generation and we're partnering together. And so I ask God that even as we um, listen for your words and your truth today, I ask that you would just connect our hearts with, with those who are already seeing you face to face. 
that we would feel that camaraderie, that sense of family that we were meant to have with heaven. And um, let it be real, that awareness. We really do have people there with you, standing in your presence that not only love you, but love us. They're cheering for us. They're believing the best for us and for our generation, and they can't wait to see us, and they will see us, and we will see them. We ask that you just stir that um, connection up right now. It's out of that place that you teach us how to run our part of the race. So we listen for your truth today. We listen for your words of encouragement, and we just say we're hungry. I'm hungry, Lord. Just speak and and. Feed me spiritually. We come to you hungry because you love to feed us spiritually. You love to nourish us in the places where um, we're just feeling weak. And so we bring those places of weakness to you even now, Lord, as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. As I said in, in the, that conversation there with the Lord... In Hebrews chapter 11, I'm not going to read it, but um, there's a list of many of our, our patriarchs in the face, in the faith, <laughs> patriarchs in the faith, like Moses and Abraham and um, Isaac, Jacob, those that lived before us um, who were what the Passion Translation calls faith champions. And... You know, as I was also praying that the Lord would connect our hearts with those who have already gone before us that we are related to, that's easier for some of us to do than others. You know, um, I have uh, a mother who's already in heaven and, um, you know, it, that like nothing else connected me to that sense of reality that there is another realm and it is more real than this realm. And she didn't just stop existing. Like my, my mom is still very much a part of my life. It just on the other side of the veil last week, speaking of behind the veil, she's on the other side of the veil and you know, that veil gets thinner and thinner. The older you get, the more real that becomes that place of I'm, not going to always be here and I'm going to be somewhere else. Um, but I'm not going to stop being. And it's important for us to connect with um, our patriarchs and matriarchs that have gone before us because um, I believe it centers us. It gets us back to that place of what this is really all about. And there's a healthy version of that. And there's an unhealthy version of that. In my opinion, an unhealthy version of that is, you know, I just am hanging on here till I can finally go be in heaven with Jesus and the people I love. You know, that that's um, not God's intention for us. And Hebrews chapter 12 makes that clear. When you read in other translations, it really speaks of this life as a race. Run the race with endurance because they are watching this great cloud of witnesses and they are cheering us on. It always makes me think of, um, and I'm such an analogy person, so here's my analogy. It makes me think of um, runners, which I never was really a runner, 
but there's a specific kind of race called, um, well, I don't, a relay race, relay race, where they are, they have a baton and there's four legs of the race. So four different people run on the same team and they are given a baton. The first person starts with the baton, runs the first leg of the race, passes it off to the next person on their team who grabs it from behind at just the right time and takes off running and then passes it and then passes it. And then the final person that gets the baton gets to cross the finish line. So, you know, there are so many truths to that analogy. You know, I believe that God is very serious about bloodlines and, um, you know, the fact that he laid out the whole lineage of Jesus and biblically there was always the importance of the lineage. And I know that part of that was because it, it was to fulfill the prophecy that, you know, to point out that the prophecy was fulfilled, that Jesus was, the Messiah was going to come through this bloodline and he did. But there's also like bloodline as in um, God passing down the sin and iniquity I would call that the the spiritual genetics or spiritual DNA from one generation to the next. We literally have um, natural genetics that are passed down where we could trace back, you know, our lineage for maybe hundreds of years um, through our DNA. And, and the same is true spiritually. So there are certain things that God allows us to like, you know, he, he doesn't do it to us, but let's say like you had a parent or a grandparent that struggled with, um, trying to think of like a, a spiritual issue, you know, like rejection, just always full of rejection and shame. And that was modeled for you. And not only was it modeled for you, but it's like something that you struggle with too. Well, if, if the Lord doesn't allow that those kinds of things to be passed down from generation to generation. Like he's the one who set up the rules. He could have said, nope, every generation gets to start with a fresh slate and they just, you know, are given perfect spiritual genetics and they don't have to overcome anything that their forefathers did. Well, I believe out of his goodness, he allowed things to be passed down so that we could deal with them like that relay race. That baton, for good or bad, that we received from the generation before us, it causes us to have to, even when they're already gone, it causes us to have to behave like a team, to behave like a family. Like, I don't just care about succeeding in life for my own sake. I care because I want to honor my parents. The things that my my mom, um, who is in heaven, I, I've been adopted, and my mom, that any of you who know me, you know my mom here, um, but the mom, my mom, my biological mom that is in heaven, you know, her life was cut short, and in that, there were things that spiritually she never had an opportunity to overcome. And I realized at one point in my life, oh, this thing that I'm just struggling with, I think that was something my mom struggled with. And I think it might have been something that, you know, maybe her parents struggled with. And so in, in God's kindness to them, he allows me the opportunity to root 
by his power to root that out of our bloodline on their behalf because they're already standing before him face to face and they know more than we even know on this side of the veil that he is worthy of of all sin and all iniquity and all patterns to be rooted out of our bloodline so that um, he gets the glory, you know? We don't want the enemy to win on any level. And so death doesn't mean that you stop being, nor does death mean that the things you didn't get to overcome won't get overcome by a future bloodline of yours. Now, let's say you don't have children and you're never going to have children. I believe that there are opportunities that the Lord gives in um, other ways. And I don't want to get into that right now, but all right. So the race of faith, passion and determination with passion and determination. I'm going to read straight through the um, 12th chapter of Hebrews, and then I'm going to go and highlight the seven things um, that I believe help us here um, run the race with passion and determination. The great cloud of witnesses. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. After all, you've not yet reached the point of sweating blood, like Jesus did, in your opposition to sin. And have you forgotten his, Jesus's, encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God, or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he's doing what any loving father does for his children. For who's ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we've never once endured his correction, it only proves we're strangers and we're not sons and daughters. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, 
as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. Now, all discipline seems to be painful at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character and bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. So be made strong even in your weakness by lifting up your tired hands in prayer and worship and strengthen your weak knees. For as you keep walking forward on God's paths, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. In every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition and run swiftly toward holiness. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. And make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. Be careful that no one among you lives in immorality. Becoming careless about God's blessings like Esau, who traded away his rights as the firstborn for a simple meal. And we know that later on, when he wanted to inherit his father's blessing, he was turned away, even though he begged for it with bitter tears, for it was too late then to repent. For we're not coming as Moses did to a physical mountain with its burning fire, thick clouds of darkness and gloom, and with a raging whirlwind. We are not those who are being warned by the jarring blast of a trumpet and the thundering voice, the fearful voice that they begged to be silenced. They couldn't handle God's command that said, If so much as an animal approaches the mountain, it is to be stoned to death. Now again, he's referring to when Moses went up on the mountain and he left all the people at the foot of the mountain and he met with God face to face to get the Ten Commandments. Um, but it was with a lot of fear and trembling because he came as, you know, fire and smoke and an earthquake and it was like intense. So he's saying it's not like that anymore. He says the astounding phenomena Moses witnessed caused him to shudder with fear and he could only say, I am trembling in terror. By contrast, we have already come near to God in a totally different realm the Zion realm or um, Mount Zion. And he's literally talking about uh, Mount Zion, which is where the temple mount is and was back then where they had the temple and they would sacrifice to animals and all that. He says, for we have entered the city of the living God, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. So he's literally living at a time, this author is, where Jerusalem is an existing city. And right in the middle of Jerusalem is where the temple um, was where they continued to sacrifice even after Jesus gave his life as our sacrifice. So he's he's contrasting for them the city that they could see right in front of them and the temple they could see right in front of them versus the new Jerusalem in heaven. We have joined the festal gathering of myriads of angels in their joyous celebration and as members of the church of the firstborn, of Jesus, all our names have been legally registered as citizens of heaven. 
And we have come before God who judges all and who lives among the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect in his eyes. And we've come to Jesus who established a new covenant with his blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat, blood that continues to speak from heaven forgiveness, a better message than Abel's blood that cries from the earth justice. I'm almost to the end. Make very sure that you never refuse to listen to God when he speaks. For the God who spoke on earth from Mount Sinai to Moses is the same God who now speaks from heaven. Those who heard him speak his living word on earth found nowhere to hide. So what chance is there for us to escape if we turn our backs on God and refuse to hear his warnings as he speaks from heaven? The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain, but now he has promised once and for all, I will not only shake the systems of the world, but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Now this phrase once and for all clearly indicates the final removal of things that are shaking. That is the old order. I would say ancient evil. So only what is unshakable will remain. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe. For our God is a holy, devouring fire. All right, um, that devouring fire also in the Aramaic means consuming light. He shines who he is into all darkness. So everything that is shakable is being shaken. That is, we are living in that time right now so that what remains is his unshakable kingdom. All right, um, the seven things that I want to get into today are, the first one is from chapter 12, verse 1. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us. Now, another um, part, way that this could have been translated, um, the, the translator says here, is to get rid of air, every arrow tip that is in us. Um, you'll be familiar, more familiar with it probably in other versions that say the weight, lay aside the weight that so easily besets us. So it's, it's an analogy nonetheless. Either, you know, when you're running a race, when you're getting through life, you don't want to carry burdens you weren't meant to carry. You don't want to carry wounds that are unhealed, um, that keep you from moving forward. And wounds, um, here it's implied, implication is carrying an arrow tip inside, a wound that weighs us down and keeps us from running our race with freedom. So, number one, how do we live with passion and determination? We have to let go of every wound that has pierced us. And that's a lifestyle. It really is because um, between life and our own choices, 
and the choices of other people around us, um, the things that are happening on a big scale in society, we got a lot of wounds. We got a lot of arrow tips that are stuck in us. And so um, what I wanted to do with each one of these points is to stop and pray into each one as we go through them. I'm not going to take a long time, but I, I do want to do that. So we can like talk about stuff or we can actually take it to the Father. And that's what I feel like um, we should do with this. So Father, we just, each one of us, like um, position ourselves as if we're on an operating table right now. And you are the great physician. And it's scary because some of the wounds that we have are because we're disappointed with you, to be honest. Like we wonder why you didn't show up in ways that it felt like you should have or the timing and um, those places of disappointment become like just little wounds that then fester and grow into something more. And so, first of all, we just um, we expose those places of disappointment with you to you. You already see them. You're already aware of them and and you care and you don't take any of the pain that we experience, the disappointment that we have. You don't take it lightly. Um, our hearts move your hearts. Your heart moves his heart. My heart moves your heart. And so I just ask you to touch those places of disappointment in me right now. And I give you permission to bring comfort and healing to those places beyond what makes sense to my mind. Cause you probably couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't understand what you'd want to tell me anyway, because I don't sit where you sit. And so I surrender that disappointment to you. And I say, I trust you. I trust you. I trust the end results of that place of disappointment back to you with you. And the arrows that are in us from, um, people that are close to us and, people that are not close to us, but have done things that have affected us. We give you permission to just pull those arrowheads out and to Holy Spirit, just put the balm there that, that, um, that brings healing. And we forgive. We let go of, um, offense from those who have wounded us and we choose to forgive and trust them to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. The second one, the second um, way that we can live with passion and determination is to focus our attention and expectation on Jesus. That's from Hebrews 12 verse Two, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. Okay, so imagine yourself, you're standing in front of a situation that seems uh, impossible or overwhelming. That thing is right in front of you. It's in the natural realm, but you have an option 
to shift your gaze and let's just shift it up because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And let's take our eyes off of that issue and put it on him and know that he's aware of that thing that's right in front of us. Like, let the reality sink in. He's aware. He hasn't missed it. He cares. He's on it. It's not over till it's good. You may or may not get to see the results of his goodness, but it there's a reason. There's a reason for, for delay or there's a reason for um, that issue. God will turn it for your good. We know all of these things in our head, but it's not till we turn our gaze on him. And in so doing, we, we, we focus our attention and our expectation on him. So what is our expectation? There's a slight difference between expecting him for a specific result versus expecting him to be true to who you know him to be. He's good. He cares. He loves you. So he gets to decide the end result. And it doesn't mean we're not, you know, we don't do our part in contending for what we think the end result should be, but it means ultimately our expectation is not on the result. Our expectation is on him. So um, the other translations say this verse uh, more like the author and finisher of our faith. So basically it's saying, you know, your faith is your belief in what you can't yet see. Your faith is your belief in what you can't yet see. And so our faith is something that we um, get to spend on Jesus. We get to say, my faith is in you. My faith is what allows me to expect you to be who I know you are in this situation in the natural realm. Um, all right. So we are able to move forward in life with passion and determination connected with the reality of heaven, those that have been running this relay with us, they've done their part, they passed the baton to us, now we are doing our part, and and with taking it to the next level. So even in that, that relay race gives us insight that it, it doesn't always matter. Like, in we're humans, so it's always going to feel like it matters if we see the result in our lifetime. But I think in reality, when we're standing before him one day, it's not going to make that huge of a difference to us if he he got the last word on that situation while you were still here on earth or once you were in heaven because of this relay aspect of our race, that baton that's being passed. Just, just move it down the field some more. You know, do your part to move it forward and trust that he will cause those who come after you to move that situation or, you know, the baton that you've carried. All right. So with passionate determination, we let go of every wound that has pierced us and we focus our attention and expectation on Jesus. So let's just do that right now. Um, just, you know, think of one or two insurmountable things in front of you right now in the natural realm that are just like weighing heavy on you. And they're things that if you could fix and change right now, you would do it in a heartbeat, but you can't. 
you've done what you can and, and you're having to shift your focus to Jesus. And so we just do that right now with an act of our will and because of our faith that you, you initiated in us, you gave us faith to spend on you. You gave us the ability to believe in what we cannot see, like the, the capacity as humans, we can believe in something that we can't see. And so we choose to spend that capacity on you. And we take our attention off of that thing the best we can. We ask you to help us do it, Holy Spirit. We take our attention off of that thing and we, we just cast our gaze to you right now, Jesus. And we see that you're not worried, you're not anxious kind of wish you were sometimes because then we'd feel like maybe you're going to do something, <laughs> but you're not because you see the end from the beginning and you know the plans you have for us are good, your future and a hope. So we, by faith, just receive the truth that, um, we can put our expectation on you and, and trust you to be who you are on our behalf related to this thing. So we, we, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to just frequently remind us to keep our eyes, our gaze, our attention on Jesus and not on the situation. All right. With passion and determination, number three, we fully embrace God's correction as part of our training. That is in verse seven of chapter 12. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he's doing what any lo loving father does for his children. And it goes on to say, submit to his life-giving discipline. It is an actual invitation to share his holiness. So we know that Jesus already atoned for our sin. We know that we're not having to perform and get better in life and get, you know, more moral in life so that we can arrive at a certain place spiritually or get to heaven, right? We know that. So why then would he care that we even grow spiritually and we become more like him? Why would he care if once we get to heaven, we're going to be perfect anyway, like, um, or that Jesus has already made us perfect in his sight. So why does he care? He cares because it's an invitation to share his holiness. Okay. In the same way that, um, you know, when, when you get married and you, you fall in love and you get married, an overflow, a typical overflow of your love for each other is Let's make another one of us that we can bring into our love. And so God is the same way. This love swirl between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, they, they already were the perfect family and the perfect love relationship between them. And they created humanity to bring us into a family that already existed, into a love relationship that was already perfect. And so... In the same way that he already had love, but he wanted to bring us into his overflow of love, 
he already is holy. He doesn't need us to be holy. He's completely holy within himself. He's not in need of our good behavior. But holiness is an aspect of who he is, just like his love is. He is love. He is holy. And so an overflow of this reality of his amazing holiness, his, his sheer perfection of who he is and how he is, he wants us to come into that um, reality. Just like he wants us to come into the reality of his love, he wants us to come into the reality of who he is as holy. Everything that he is, he wants to share with us. So he's inviting us on this side of heaven not because we need to be holy, but because he, he it's an invitation. Come into my holiness. Learn to be like me. Process life from this place of freedom from sin and liberty in your, um, in your motivations in all that you do. So that, that you're free from the things that sin weighs you down with. So um, that is part of embracing God's correction as part of our training is not to get us into heaven, not because God's disappointed with us, so he's got to give us a consequence. No, it's because he wants us to participate in his holiness as soon as possible. So on this side of heaven, and therefore he corrects us. Now, if you've ever had to correct someone, whether it's your own child or someone that you were you were responsible for, you know it's pretty hard when they um, either don't feel loved by you and therefore they don't, you know, they're defensive and they don't want to receive the correction or there's pride there and they like it their way. They don't, they don't want to do it differently because of pride. Um, that that can exist in our relationship with God where he really is longing to take us to the next level of, of um, invitation into holiness, but he, we're not embracing his correction. And because of that, in that area, we're stuck. And maybe we don't even realize how stuck we are. And so he's patient. He just continues to allow life to discipline us. And so let's just go before him right now and give him permission to change our hearts so that we are more likely to embrace his correction as our father. So Papa, again, we just look at you right now um, and we receive your love because we know that it, we, we can't and we won't receive your correction when we don't know how loved we are. And so we just sit here like a little awkward toddler who has a hard time sitting still. And we just allow you to adore us because you do. You just adore us. You adore me. It'd be good for you to say that out loud. You adore me. And we just allow you to let us feel and encounter your love right now. That love swirl. And in that place of knowing how loved we are, we just open ourselves up to your desire 
your invitation into holiness. It's who you are and you want us to be as one with you as we possibly can be. So thank you for who you are as holy. You're perfect in all your ways and all your motives and all your everything that you decide to do or not do is sheer holiness. And so we say yes. I say yes to your invitation of holiness. Which means I embrace all the ways that you want to correct me now and in the future. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to teach me how to embrace discipline, how to humble myself under it, how to um, notice when pride comes in and makes me want to defend and, and be right instead of be holy. Thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have shown your love to us by calling us out and saying, this is not okay. I have better for you. Choose better. Do better. Thank you for those moments of correction. We say yes to more. Amen. Okay, so we live with passion and determination by letting go of every wound that has pierced us, by focusing our attention and expectation on Jesus, by fully embracing God's correction as part of our training, and number four, by lifting up our tired hands in praise and worship. Okay, every person who runs gets tired, right? You eventually run into yourself, <laughs> your own limitation. And weariness creeps in. And it's that way in the natural. It's that way in life. It's that way spiritually. Especially when all line up at the same time. When you are physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, and spiritually exhausted. Wow. That's when we really need this secret. And this is from um, verse 12. Hebrews 12, 12. So be made strong even in your weakness, by lifting up your tired hands in prayer and worship and strengthen your weak knees. For as you keep walking forward on God's paths, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. So, Father, we um, literally just lift our hands up right now in worship and in prayer. In every place that is weak and weary within us, we just expose to you right now. And we say, come in with your strength. We worship you. And we say, you are our strong and mighty tower. We, we thank you for um, the ways that our weakness and our weariness don't like our neediness. It doesn't like, um, it doesn't turn you off. It doesn't turn you away. You're not like disgusted when you see those places of weariness and weakness. When we're exhausted, you're not like, well, she's exhausted. She's just on her own till she can get it right again. No, you like, you come in close. You notice we're tired before we even notice that we're tired. 
and you're drawn, literally, your strength rushes towards our weakness. So how can we not praise you in this place? How can we not run into you, our strong tower, worship you, dialogue with you in this place of weariness? You want to listen. You want to hear our thoughts. You want to hear what's weighing on us. What is it that's made us weary? What are we tired of? Thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing our groans, our sighs to come up before you. And we offer it up even as worship to you. Where else can we go but to you? So we bring what we have. And what we have is, is this. You see it. It's yours. We surrender to you. All of our weakness, all of our weariness. Thank you for taking it on you. Thank you for replacing it, Jesus, with your yoke. That is, it's a yoke. It's a partnership. There is a daily cross. But you have said that um, it's not a heavy burden. And so where it's become heavy, we just come up next to you and allow you to shoulder that. Now we invite you to just replace our weariness with strength. Supernaturally, where we're exhausted physically. Supernaturally, where we're exhausted mentally. Supernaturally, where we ex we're exhausted in our, in our faith. Replenish us right now. We worship you. Amen. Okay. With passion and determination, number five, we relate well to others. Relationships. You can't get away from relationships. This, this can't be just, you know, your own little journey. At times that's frustrating because you're like, if it weren't for people, life would be great. <laughs> right? Then we get on the other side of it and we're like, where are my people? I'm lonely. Anyway, we're just like that, right? Um, but we cannot get away from relationship, even in our relationship with God. It It's all inclusive, right? We bring God, we bring our personal relationship with him into how we interact with and relate to others. So I've got um, Four things listed under this point relate well to others. So in verse, um, where did I not label it? I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Number five is, um, I'm sorry. Okay. Number is verse 14. In every relationship, be swift to choose peace over competition. So in every relationship, number one, choose peace over competition. Um, the comment that I will make on that is this. It doesn't mean ignore anything and everything and just act like everything's fine when it's not. But there are so many times where we could let things go that we refuse to let go in a conversation or in passing and a family environment. 
that we could choose to let those things go for the sake of peace. And we underestimate the value of peace in a relationship. When people feel like they have to walk on eggshells with you, like they, they, you're going to, you know, go off on them if they go wrong in this direction or that direction, or you don't meet a certain expectation every time, um, it can become overwhelming in a relationship. And then, you know, they use the word competition here. I will say defensiveness. You start getting defensive and then you're, you're, you're fighting over anything and everything all the time rather than just having peace. And when there's peace in a relationship, then that relationship can actually grow and get better and and expectations are more likely to be met because you can communicate the expectations in a healthy, um, no um, low stakes way, you know? And so then there's peace there instead of this defensiveness, like I have to defend why I let you down or defend why I need you to, you know, fulfill this expectation for me. So value peace, choose peace over competition or choose peace over defensiveness. Let some things go. And if you choose peace and the other person isn't choosing peace, here's a secret. Choose peace anyway. Be immovable in in what you know and say, if they're all stirred up and upset about something, say, I'm sorry that that's upsetting for you. Um, and I'll work on what I can, but I'm, I'm not willing to live on eggshells with you and feel like I have to do X, Y, and Z just to keep you happy. Like our happiness can't be that connected to each other. My happiness with my husband cannot be connected to um, the things that upset him. Because then I got to deal with everything that upsets me and the things that upset him, right? So um, choose peace. The second part of relating well to others is encourage grace. So in verse 15, it says, watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. Now, what that doesn't mean is preach it, somebody, you know, Make sure that everybody hears about God's grace. No, it means in this in the context of a relationship, a relationship in your life, you are going to not miss the opportunity to show, demonstrate God's grace. Meaning you're not going to harp on the rules all the time or the expectations all the time. Grace means you let some things go. Grace means I'm going to cover you in this. I'm going to show you grace. Um, and I'm going to help you get over something. Uh, the third point of relating well to others is deal with roots of bitterness. That same verse goes on to say, make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them. So a root of bitterness sprouting within you will only cause trouble and poison, will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. So when we, as an individual, allow a root of bitterness to grow in us, like, I'm just bitter, like, they they offended me, and it's just so got in my craw, I'm so upset about it, that it just, it's just festering, I've become bitter about it. And you know when somebody's bitter, like, it just spews out of you, maybe not even in that relationship, maybe into other relationships as well, you just stay 
angry. That's a root of bitterness. And it doesn't just cause you trouble. It causes trouble in other relationships around you because it becomes part of your, like your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I always think of the words my kids use, your vibe or whatever. I don't know if I'm even using that word correctly, but you're, you know, the, what you put out, the, the atmosphere you create around yourself is just trouble. It's stirred up. It's troubled waters. And it poisons the hearts of many. So a root of bitterness actually spews poison into other relationships as well. And that's so sad because you might have a root of bitterness from something somebody did to you in your childhood that now affects your marriage. You know, you're an adult now, but you've got this root of bitterness from something so long ago that's probably very understandable but now your, your, your way of protecting yourself back then, which was to just validate your pain, it fed a root of bitterness that now affects you. Your own choice now affects you. And so you got to deal with roots of bitterness. And the, the fourth point of relating well to others is deal with immorality. It says in verse 16, be careful that no one among you lives in immorality, becoming careless about God's blessings. And it goes on to compare Esau. So Esau was, you know, trying to get this blessing from his dad and he, he just got careless because he was hungry that day. So he said to his brother, hey, I'm going to give you the opportunity to get the blessing that I would have gotten if you just give me a bowl of soup. I'm starving, you know. And it sounds ridiculous, and it is ridiculous because we do it too. And we do it by, you know, in a moment of just compromise, we'll, we'll make an immoral choice. And it actually affects us long-term being able to receive the, a, a, an actual blessing God would have given to us in our lifetime our Heavenly Father would have given to us in our lifetime that we won't get because of a, a choice of immorality. That's sad. That's tragic. You can't reverse something like that. And the scripture goes on to say you, you can't reverse something like that. So this is where we, we do not allow immorality in ourselves and in those that we're in relationship with. It's important who you choose to do life with because who you do life with affects whether or not you're going to step into the fullness of what God has for you here, the blessing that he has for you. He had a blessing. The father of Esau had a blessing for him that because of the rules and the ways that you would bless your son while you were dying, he literally couldn't give to him. And um, all right, so we relate well to others. Um, we have two more that I'm going to quickly go through. Um but let's pray into this right now. So, um, Father, we just, we dialogue with you right now, each one of us in our, in our hearts, related to ourselves and our relationships in our lives. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to show us areas in relationships where we're not choosing peace, where we're being defensive and we're, we're focusing on our expectations rather than letting things go. We're not giving, showing grace. We're not encouraging a, an environment of grace in our relationships. 
show us those those places and give us insight in those moments that the option that we can choose instead of the unhealthy ways we've been going forward. Show us how to choose peace. Show us how to give grace. You are our teacher and you are good at guiding us. And so we give you permission in those moments to do it. And would you forgive us um, and show us if there's someone in our lives and relationship that we need to go to and say, I have not chosen peace in my relationship with you. And I just ask you to forgive me. I haven't shown you grace and I ask you to forgive me. Would you give us the capacity to forgive others that we're in relationship with who have not chosen peace towards us, who have not shown us grace? Allow us right now, Father, to forgive them. We just say we forgive them and we trust you in their life to correct them. We trust you in their life to teach them how to bring peace into our relationship and how to bring and show us grace. And Father, we ask that you would show us right now if there are roots of bitterness in us. Show us where they are, what relationship they, they have come from, what wounding they came from. And um, would, you, would you help us get free from those roots of bitterness? Would you show us how to root them out of our hearts so that they do not poison, they do not affect our relationships? Um, Put, put information, counselors, books in front of us that help us identify those places of wounds where roots of bitterness came in. And would you bring us to the point where we can forgive those who have wounded us, that, that where we hung on to that, that root of bitterness. And we pray, God, that you would um, free us from sin and addictions in our lives that have um, us making immoral choices. Show us the way out of immorality. Thank you, Father. All right. With passion and determination, number six, we listen to God when he speaks. All right. That comes from verse... 25. Make very sure that you never refuse to listen to God when he speaks, for the God who spoke on earth from Mount Sinai is the same God who now speaks from heaven. All right, what is he speaking from heaven? It goes on to say in verse 26, once and for all, I will not only shake the systems of the world, but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Okay, you know, we can't focus on living a life where we're running this race, carrying our part of the baton in the relay race, those before us cheering us on from heaven. We can't talk about all of that and not connect it to the big picture of the kingdom of God coming to earth. So we've gone from one extreme to the other. We're talking about wounds in our own heart. We're talking about relationships with others. Now we're talking about our place in the unfolding kingdom of God that is coming to earth in all seven mountains. We're talking about the world um, 
learning not just who God is, but how God is, his better ways of doing everything, his kingdom coming to earth. And so what is he speaking right now from heaven? So he, he in the Old Testament to Moses, he spoke from the mountain and it was scary. He's saying, how much more so is it awesome? Like in a terrifying kind of way, for God's voice to thunder from heaven. And his voice is thundering from heaven saying, again, once and for all, I will not only shake the systems of the world, but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Our battle that we are, um, we're not just running a race, but we're running a race on a battlefield if the race wasn't hard enough, right? Okay, so we've got bullets whizzing by in this relay race. But in this, this battle, it is not with flesh and blood. It is with powers and principalities. It's with the unseen realm. There are very real demons, very real Satan, very real principalities, but there also is a very real God. There are very real archangels and there are very real armies hosts of angels that are fighting on our behalf for the kingdom to come to earth, for sons and daughters to stand up and partner with God in bringing heaven to earth. It's a sure victory, but we do have a part to play. And so we, we run this way, race with passion and determination by listening to God when he speaks. And it's saying here in verse 25, make sure that you never refuse to listen to God, okay? So we're listening. While we're dealing with all these personal things, we're also listening to this voice that thunders from heaven that says, my kingdom is coming and it is going to replace every other thing that can shake, will be shaken. So imagine that we're running a race on a battlefield that is in the midst of an earthquake. <laughs> Just, you know, when you thought it couldn't get any harder or any worse. But God, and this is this is the setting, but this is a good thing because this earthquake that we are trying to function in the midst of is shaking everything that is not him and is not his kingdom. And so we're right on schedule. It's not like the earthquake and things that are shaking are a distraction from, you know, God doing things in the earth. It is what he's doing in the earth. And so when evil um, is resisting the kingdom, it's not a bad thing. It means light is shining into places of darkness and darkness is not liking it. So um, the last thing, oh, I didn't pray into that one. So let's pray into that. Um, we just say, yes, we, we pray the way you taught us to pray, Jesus, our Father who's in heaven, whose voice thunders from heaven, we listen. Anything within us, we just surrender to you right now that refuses to listen. And we're, we're, we're not going to be like this, running our personal race. La, 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 la. I can't handle anything big picture because I'm just so focused on me and my little world. No. We remove our hands and we say, by your spirit, we can do all things. We can run this race. We can get healed of our own wounds. We can deal with others in relationship 
while we are listening for your voice of instruction into your kingdom, how to partner with your kingdom coming to earth. So our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. All right, lastly, with passion and determination, number one, we let go of every wound that ha ha has pierced us. We focus our attention and expectation on Jesus. We fully embrace God's correction as part of our training. We lift up our tired hands in prayer and worship. It's a lifestyle. We don't forget it. And we lift, um, we relate well to others by choosing peace over competition, by encouraging grace in our relationships, by dealing with roots of bitterness in ourselves, and by dealing with immorality. And we listen to God when he speaks. And lastly, number seven, with passion and determination, we run this race by being extremely thankful for the unshakable kingdom that we are receiving by laying down our lives in absolute surrender filled with awe. That last one comes from verse number 28 um, of Hebrews 12. It says, since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe. All right, so let's just thank him now. Let's thank him for the kingdom that we are receiving. And let's just surrender our lives once again so that we live from that place of awe. You know, when you're not surrendered, when it's still more about your rights, I have a right to have a, you know, a certain level of income. I have a right to have a spouse or I have a right to have children. I have a right to have, um, you know, certain things or certain needs met. We can become so focused on what we have the rights to and trying to defend those rights before God or other people that we forget that we're actually called to surrender our rights. And that hurts. It hurts. You see other people who are married and you're not married. It hurts. You see other people able to have children and maybe you can't. That hurts. It's like you, you get hung up. You get, you get stuck on something that's a right that should be. Because you know God created you to be able to get married. God created you to be able to have children or whatever, whatever the thing is for you that you get hung up on. And in that place, we forget that those become opportunities of worship where we can surrender them to him. It doesn't mean that we can't still believe in faith that, okay, I, I will get pregnant. I will be able to conceive a child one day or that I, you will bring me a spouse. But it means like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they said, um, what was the wording they used? But if not, you know, the equivalent of if not, you know, that was their surrender. But even if he doesn't show up in the way that I expect him to, because he's good, even if he doesn't, 
Let it be known. That's the words they used. Let it be known. That was their surrender. Let it be known. It won't change my relationship with him. So let it be known in the spirit realm today that those things that you still have to surrender to him, he's worthy of. He's worthy of that level of trust and worship. And um, being extremely thankful that no matter what, no matter what gets stolen from you in your lifetime, no matter what obstacles you have to overcome or you never overcome, no matter what, this is sure. His unshakable kingdom is coming to earth. And that is where our victory is. And that's really what he knows when we get to the finish line and we're standing face to face with him and we're with all those that we love and who love us. That's all we're really going to have cared about in the end. We think now that we care about more things, but he knows better than we do. In the end, we're going to only care about the fact that his kingdom was fully manifest in the earth. And so again, the verse says, be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his house, his heart, that delights his heart, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. So that is what we are thankful for. So Father, we, um, we thank you right now for the unshakable kingdom that is coming to earth, that is already here, that is continuing to unfold. Thank you for our part in it. And um, we choose to surrender to you right now every lesser right than that. That is the one right that you gave us permission to um, put a demand on heaven for. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is, that is what we are surrendering to. Thank you for your kingdom, your better ways. That's what we really ultimately want. That's what our hearts are longing for. Thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in our generation and speaking to us our part in that. We love you. We love this life with you and in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks again for joining me. I will remind you, if you would please, wherever you're watching this, um, subscribe or follow and hit like. Um, that helps the algorithm so that more people will get to um, hear from our ministry, Restore 7. So um, thanks again for doing that. And I love when you leave comments. So um, any feedback that you want to give, it's always encouraging and great to hear. If you have questions, um, something that maybe you disagree on even, I'd love to hear from you in the comments. Um, I'll see you next week on Choose Love.